0: seated. If, by chance, you have a notebook or something to write with, if you have your Bible, uh, this would be a good moment. On purpose, I did not give you a handout. I, I, I really want to just walk through this with you. And this is our third installment next week. We, we are still in our Set Apart series, uh, but next week we'll shift gears a little bit, but still under the same umbrella. I want you to turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 14 and uh, chapter 12, I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 14 and before I begin I would like to just set our lesson in a very particular vein so that you know how I am presenting some of these uh, scriptural uh, doctrines and scriptural um ideas this god-breathed book so the first part of what i'm going to say is real critical so that we can build on top of this and so i i don't stand here um to grind any acts or to call out any person uh, or to make known any individual because being set apart is a totality of life. There are so many aspects to it. But I just want to systematically tell you where I stand as a pastor of the church. And I also want you to know that many people come to this house and many people worship the Lord in this place. And everyone is at a different point in their walk with God. And so in, in typical moments, um, some of the subjects that I'll talk about tonight we reserve for one-on-one sessions or small group sessions, and that way there can be questions and answers. But if anyone walks in here for any length of time, uh, it's very apparent that, that we are a little different. Now, not all of us are crazy. Just a few of us are a little off. But the Lord said, uh, Peter said, that, that um, the promise is unto you and all that are afar off. Some people are just afar off. And so that's the promise, Acts 2.39. So just want you to know that this is where I stand as a pastor and what I'm pursuing. And I also would would attend to the words of Paul who clearly said, Not that I have attained, but I am pressing for the mark. So if by chance uh, anyone thinks that that, uh, they've arrived... I would beg to differ we're all striving for the mark for the prize of the high calling of Christ which is in of high calling of God which is in Christ Jesus all of us. So perhaps you have found one of the subjects that sister Tammy and I have already spoken about you found them to be true in your life and you have maybe not conquered them necessarily but you have a better view and you are certain of it but there may be some other things that you have not yet uh, acquired. And so not that we have attained, but we do strive. Everyone say strive. We're striving for the mastery. We're striving for it. I don't want to sink to the lowest common denominator in anything. I don't want to sink and say, well, you know, we don't want to, we don't want to say anything because it might be offensive. Jesus said, I'm sorry, Paul even said that the cross is a stumbling block. Jesus is a stumbling block. Jesus himself is offensive to billions of people around the world. So uh, for us not to be offensive is impossible. You are the light shining in a dark world. And that light by itself already casts a judgment upon everyone else that doesn't follow the scripture. And you don't even have to open up your mouth, but all you have to do is show the love of Christ. And it is a very different view than what the world has. So here's the book of Hebrews chapter. 12, verse 14. The writer of Hebrews says, follow peace. Everyone say peace. Peace with all men and holiness. Now just notice first, they are in succession. We want to be set apart and we're going to follow holiness. But holiness always uh, comes after peace. Peace is derived or attained from respect or honor, kindness, peace. Peace is attained from calmness of voice. Peace is acquired when we have respect one to another. But if you don't have peace, you don't have unity. In fact, Paul said in one portion of Scripture, till we all come into the unity of faith. Hmm, that's interesting. Two chapters before that in the book of Ephesians, he said, but keeping the unity of the Spirit, which is in the bond of peace. Peace looks like a circumference, some place. The only way for unity to live is if it can live and grow in the soil of peace. So before you get to unity, you get to peace. Peace and holiness. Before you get to set apart, you get to peace. Before you get to the unity of the faith, you have to come into peace. Now comes holiness, which means set apart. And the writer of Hebrews, this God-inspired book, said, No man's going to see the Lord. Unless you have holiness. That's set apart. I'll offer you a few practical thoughts here. um, But they all come from the scripture. Galatians chapter 5. We're talking about attitudes. Attitude is a part of being set apart. Because holiness actually begins with the attitudes and thoughts of the heart and the mind. And then there are thoughts. Attitude. And then thoughts. And then the tongue, what we say. So it's not just our spirit, but it also is what we think. And then it it is what we say. Next, the fourth thing is the eye, what we look at. Because the eye is the gateway of the soul. It's the primary source of your mind. What you see, what you choose to see, what what you do with your vision, how you look. Um... As the scripture says, Job said, "I made a covenant with my eyes, the eyes that gateway. It opens up a world of sin or joy. When you see things, it can bring back memories. When you see the majestic mountains, it can bring you. It can it can bring you into another thought. You look up at the sky, but if you look on something with desire or you see the wrong thing, it could be a Pandora's box. Maybe." 30-40% of women today have now devolved into what 75% of men have been struggling with. And I'm not, uh, I'm, I won't be vulgar here tonight, but pornography has destroyed many, many lives. It is one of the reasons why there are many people not getting married today. And it has, it has destroyed many marriages. What we see with our eyes that's not something you wear. It's, it's something you do. It's something you desire. So you're going to have to make a covenant with your eyes. Um, I, I shouldn't. I, I won't impugn other places. All I know is that in my travels. And in my, in my study. In my view. It's a rarity for any church to talk about some of these saints Because it's embarrassing and offensive. But I would, I would venture to say that most Christian homes will view things in the confines of their living room that they would never want anyone to see. Then comes the appearance. Appearance is the outward part of the body. It's adornment, it's dress, and it's the way that we conduct or fix or style ourselves, even our hair. Then there's the stewardship of the body, because as we'll describe, your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. From 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16, we know that the temple, your body, is the temple of the Holy Ghost. Some scriptures are, de- are declaratives. That means you don't need a principle. The scripture already spoke it. But some scriptures give us the broad view of the principle. If your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, you need to take care of your body. I didn't want to go for a walk, but Tammy said, We need to go for a walk. (laughs) So we did. And it was good for me to go for a walk and take care of my body. It's good. And it's good for us to exercise, it's good for us to eat and drink healthy things. We don't have any problem with preachers screaming about drugs and alcohol. We have a lot of problems with anyone getting up and telling us to have a good diet. But the same principle comes from the same verse. How are we doing? Okay. Well, I've gotten very little feedback, but I'm monotone for a reason. Okay. Because we're systematically approaching how I'm viewing all of this. That stewardship of the body is important in diet and exercise and in rest And not doing things that harm our body. There are things being done today with people's bodies. And it's harmful for their bodies. Your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Holiness, there's a sanctity in marriage. Marriage is supposed to be a lifelong commitment between a man and a woman. Divorce was never in God's plan. And all sexual relationships... We're meant to be in the confines of a marriage. Or as one of our friends put it, the fire in the fireplace is wonderful. It warms the whole house. It's the best thing. I love to have a live fire with wood, good smelling wood. I love the crackle of that wood. But that fire, if it it is not put in a fireplace, it will burn the house down. The very thing that brings uh, 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 brings a, um, an atmosphere, rather, uh, it will bring you warmth, uh, pleasure, it will also burn you and kill you. And that is sexual relationships that are conducted outside of the marriage. Why don't we talk about that? Why aren't we speaking about that with our children? Why are we not, why are we not talking about marriage for life? That's why I say if you're going to get married, you need to court for a long time and make sure. Because after you choose to follow Jesus Christ, the most important thing, decision you'll ever make in your life is who you marry. I would just submit to you, you've got one shot, you better make it right. Because if you don't make it right, you'll be miserable for the rest of your life. When Jesus said, take up your cross and follow me, he did not mean your husband. But if that is your cross, it was somewhat of a joke, but I really feel like you you took it as a very uh, solemn moment because you agreed with me. Now, yes, there are reasons for divorce. There are reasons why people get divorced. And there are legitimate reasons for that. And there are scriptural reasons. Uh, there's a scriptural outlay for it. But I want you to know that primarily we need to be stewardships of our marriage. Our marriages are critical. It's important that we maintain our marriages. It's important. And there is a fight against our marriage. There always will be. Because no matter what you think, um, you are different. And you'll be different. Then there's a the sanctity of life. That also is part of holiness because we are made in God's image. Now, if you would just step back and just take an aerial view of a couple of things that I've said, you'd find out that there's an onslaught against holiness, these items found in Genesis chapter 1 through Genesis chapter 3. I'll go over them in a second. There is a fight against what God did from Genesis chapter 1 to Genesis chapter 3. In honesty and in godly fellowship, in worldly activities. There are some activities that are very worldly. And then in retaliation. In greed. In materialism. And in prejudice. All of these things that I've, I've, I've spoken tonight. And we could spend a lot of time on one of them or each of them. Those are all part of holiness. They're all part of it. More specifically tonight. I'm speaking about the roles of men and women. Creation. Uh, was instituted by the spoken word of God. He spoke the worlds into existence. Um, what we see uh, from many years ago, and probably predates um, our nation's inception, is the fight against creation. That perhaps there is no God. Athe- atheist, The atheist has been around a long time. The agnostic has been around a long time. The philosophers were found on Mars Hill in Athens debating with with Paul. But in those philosophers, they were mystics. So they believed in all the gods. They didn't want to offend any god. That's why they had one last statue that, that read to the unknown god just in case they left somebody out. But beyond that, the philosophers also would muse about whether or not there was a god. If he could not be proved or disproven, they call themselves agnostic. And so, also in the first three chapters, not only is creation rebutted, refuted, and taught as a lie in all of your schools, all of your secondary educations, post-secondary education, evolution is the well-accepted premise, even though is it a theory of, re- of evolution that cannot be proven, nonetheless... That's what all of our institutions teach as a regular practice. And if you've ever taken an anthropology course, which I have. Of course, that was in the 80s. Evolution was the basis, the groundwork for that. Even so more now. All institutions rest upon a rebuttal against Genesis chapter 1. But also, there's a rebuttal against this idea that God made Adam and Eve, man and woman... In his own image. Man was created from the dust of the earth. And then God breathed the breath of life into into Adam. And the Bible says he became a living soul. From Adam a woman came. The woman came from Adam. But every other man on the face of the planet. Came from the joining of a man and a woman. I never in my wildest dreams. Never growing up even five or six years ago, would ever think that I would ever say from a pulpit (laughs) that there are only two genders. Not only did we hyperbole into some other realm, almost like we've leapfrogged into another century, but I think from the last five or six, seven years, maybe I wasn't paying attention, I don't know, and you can correct me if I'm wrong later, but it seems to me that we... We just leapfrogged really far, really fast, and all of a sudden, it's as if it has always been that there is no such thing as a gender or roles or a man or a woman. The problem with that is these are old battles, spiritual battles. There is a spiritual war, and it's being waged in the United States and beyond. Now, not all around the world, many places around the world um, laugh at the institutions of the United States. They laugh at the idea that we are refuting the roles of men and women. My grandfather, my father, and even when I was younger, never thought in my wildest dreams that we would be here, but here we are, and I believe that these are signs of the end time. If there was ever a moment for you to get right with God before the Lord comes back, this is the time. Very little has to happen before the Lord returns. He could come tonight or tomorrow. There could be the sound of a trumpet in the morning and we would all be gone. We do not know how long we have. But I will tell you that as the world grows dark and as the world starts to close in on us, we know the coming of the Lord is very soon. The Bible says in the perilous times, they'll love the creature more than the creator. And boy, have they ever loved the creature. And the creature has changed. Now, we are told by even some preachers that we are gods. That is a lie. You are not a god. Barbara Streisand is not a god, even though she proclaims it. Oprah Winfrey is not a god, even though she might proclaim it. You're not a god. You're not a little god. You're not a big god. There's only one god, and his name is Jesus. Okay. All right. So the roles of men and women are critical, and they give distinction to gender. This is very important that I teach this. If there was a time when there could be some rebuttal against distinctions, maybe it was in the 1950s or 60s. But coming out of World War II, something took place in America that heretofore had not taken place. You see, America was involved in a massive war. The League of Nations promised the world that there would never be another world war. So after World War I, they thought, we'll never have another war. We'll begin the League of Nations. But alas, it did not hold. And World War II began. And now we have the advent, uh, um, maybe an iteration of, of the League of Nations. And we know now as the United Nations. Um... The United Nations was supposed to also solve all world conflicts. That is, of course, until they elected Libya to be the gatekeeper of of all arms in the United Nations, which was a farce. And so we know that they had no real power and still don't, but they may in the future. The United Nations may get a little more emboldened when the little horn which is the son of perdition, which is the Antichrist, finally rises up. These things are going to take place. The end of time will take place. But out of World War II, we found out, or at least many of the families found out, that men who once worked in the factories either were gone, they had perished, they had died. Some of their bodies never returned from Europe. Women were taking their places and they were taking their places and the workforce for the sake of the war. All of it, it was copacetic. All of it was good for America. We were fighting the war together. But when their husbands came home from battle, our mothers and our wives had a taste of that freedom. And from that moment, there was an explosion of greed and greed took over until finally the family didn't need one car. They needed two. They needed three. They needed a boat. And suddenly we found out that women entered the workforce. And, and through the years, we had a new term called latchkey kids. The roles of men and women started to change. Mothers were not home with their babies. Fathers weren't, were, and husbands, were not, weren't, they were not satisfied. And there were many other factors There was government, there was corruption, there were were industries that were taking advantage of their workers. Many things were happening, it wasn't just one-sided, but the roles of men and women changed drastically. In fact, it changed so much that the family unit, the nuclear family, started to disintegrate until finally we found out that the divorce rate was spiking, that men and women we're, 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 we're at odds in conflict. And now we see that full-fledged in everything that men and women are doing today. Not only were the roles being changed, but the image of a woman and a man was also being changed. I remember years ago, my brother and I would spend a couple of summers in New York City with Vic Votaw. He pastored in Queens, one of the boroughs. And Scotty and I would run around... I, I, Scott was the piano player and organ player and I just went along for the ride and sometimes they let me play the drums but we went to the camps in Albany but most of the time we were in the city and we ran around the city. We would just run everywhere. We'd, we'd be in Chinatown and run over to Little Italy and run all over the place and had a good time. It probably was a little dangerous uh, but we didn't know and Vic Votal, he didn't really care. I, I'll i never forget in his... In his um, And it was an old Chrysler that he was driving. He never had any money. And we rolled down the windows and sing songs. We would sing church songs as loud as we could, especially when we came to a stop sign. And I'll never forget looking out the front window. And I said, Brother Vic, look at that woman. And he said, Jeffrey, that is not a woman. It was a six foot three guy. He was a big man. He had a dress on and high heels. He had some jewelry and red lipstick on. And I was shocked. And I said, man, I can't believe it. I, I've never seen a man dressed up like that. Now There was a lot of other things spoken, which I'll leave out of this pulpit at this time. For a nominal fee, I'll tell you later. Today, if you would even glance incorrectly you would be accused of hate speech and violence. If you, I don't, even know how, I don't even know what this word means, misgender someone, you could be fired from your job. Or you could be attacked. This is the evolution of what happens when roles and distinction in hair, apparel, home, and marriage takes place. Let me read to you my perspective that comes directly from the scripture. And I want to read to you from 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 9. In like manner, hold on one second, I want to pull this up. So this is 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 9. Um, okay. Let me just read First Timothy chapter 2, verse 1. I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men. For kings and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and honesty. For this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and come to the knowledge of the truth. Verse 5. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself a ransom for all to be testified in due time, whereunto I am ordained a preacher and apostle. I speak the truth in Christ, a lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles, in faith and variety. Verity. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands without wrath and doubting. So here is one of our elements of holiness. This is specifically for men. So men would pray and there are two attributes of a man when he prays number one he has to lift up holy hands without two things attributed to him wrath that's anger and doubting that's skepticism these are the two things that afflict me as a man i'm afflicted my affliction is my temper and my skepticism and this is what afflicts men what, what hair and distinction of a woman, what it is to a woman, these two things are to men. Men have a difficult time. Skepticism, doubting, is akin to the difficulty of submission. It is far easier, the most natural... I know this could be offensive to somebody. <laughs> You'll just have to be offended. It is more natural for a woman to be submissive to a man than for a man to be submissive to a man because it is in the core nature of a woman to be submissive to a man. That is her core. How are we doing? Well, okay. I'd ask you really just to see if you're there. Uh, if you said you're doing bad, that doesn't mean I'm going to stop teaching. But if you are doing bad, then I'll, I, can, I could pause for a second let you catch your breath. In like manner, also, that women adorned themselves in modest apparel. Let's just pause right there. Well, pastor, what is all this stuff about apparel? What is all this stuff? Why, why would, would you espouse dresses and skirts for women? Well, there's another scripture I'm going to lead that to you. I'm to lead, uh, lead you to that scripture in Deuteronomy. But first, I just want you to know the overall concept of apparel of living. Should be in modesty, modest apparel. We we do espouse the differences of men and women in apparel, because because Deuteronomy. I'll, let me. I'll go back to this. Let's let's, let's just jump over to to um, Deuteronomy chapter twenty two. Let's go to Deuteronomy chapter twenty two. And then I'll then I'll come back to I'll come back to First Peter chapter two verse nine. Um. I'm getting there myself. Okay. So in in the scripture, there there are at least two forms of abominations. There's an abomination to men and there's abomination to God. Abomination to men is very much in line with the current aspects of the day. So if you're reading through the, the Old Testament, you'll find this is an abomination to you. This is an abomination to men. But then there are some abominations to God: bestiality, um, um, incest. Those are abominations to God. And when it's abomination to God, and we're not talking about wool and cotton. We're not talking about that. We're talking about something that doesn't is not uh, is not confined to a dispensation. So a dispensation would be a period of time. There's multiple different dispensations depending on who you talk to. Now, we do know that there's the dispensation of the church. And that began when Jesus rose from the grave and Peter, 40 days later, uh, preached on the day of Pentecost. That's the dispensation of the church. Now, how do we know that? Because the Bible says there was once a time when God winked at ignorance. He closed his eyes to people that didn't know. But now he commands all men, all people everywhere to repent. They didn't know, but now they know. So that means the dispensation of unknowing is over. The command that everyone needs to repent has begun. So when we read chapter 22, verse 5, this is an an abomination to the Lord, which means it has no Boundaries. This is for all time. It's not stuck in the dispensation in which Deuteronomy was written. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. So that's the first statement. And that's different from the second statement. The woman doesn't wear something that makes her look like a man or that pertains to him. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment. I would prefer not to wear a woman's garment. I did buy... A, uh, a jacket um, years ago I was going with Pastor Stark somewhere and I, I found uh, a, a. it was like a, a big sale at Nordstrom and the jacket was only I don't know 50 bucks it was like a, hundreds of dollars and it was only 50 dollars I bought it I put it on real quick it, it seemed to fit me something was a little odd with it I didn't know I thought maybe I just gained some weight but I'm with Pastor Stark and I and I don't know. It was just the weirdest thing. The buttons were on the wrong side. And I said, this is how ignorant I was. I said, that's why I got it so cheap. Because they put the buttons on the wrong side. Up until that time, I didn't realize that the woman's garment has buttons on, on the other side. I, I, I won't do that. There is a distinction of women's clothing. There is a distinction. I would prefer that you would not see me wearing high heels and a skirt. Why? Why can't I do that? What difference does it make? What if they said, what if they came out with men's skirts? What if they said, now this is a man's dress? Because that's what they're making today dresses for men, because men have a different body. Style, uh, shape, broader shoulders, a little different shape in our bodies. So what about men's dresses? Is it okay? Would you you mind if I did that? No? Good, because I'm coming Sunday. I'll be wearing some men's high heels and a woman and a man's dress. And I'm gonna get me a shirt with the buttons on the wrong side. Now I'm gonna tell you, first time I walk in here like that, about everybody in this building is going to get up and walk out. Why? Why would you be offended? Why would you think that was wrong? What if we had all of our men wearing men's dresses? Well, the reason why we don't do that is because here's the Bible. This is the position that I, that I take, and it's from Deuteronomy chapter 22, verse 5. This is the position that I ask our men and women that are in leadership and on our platform because they represent the Scripture and what we stand for. That a man doesn't put on a woman's garment. For all that do so, here it is, here's the big kicker they are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. That scripture right there doesn't stay in the realm of what is called cultural relativity. You see, if you apply cultural relativity to this scripture or to any Old Testament scripture or all of them, it means that it's only applicable for that culture and only relative to that time. This is a dangerous road to go down because once you step into the realm of cultural relativity and apply whatever verse you don't like, it just simply means that today's a new day. We're going on. We're progressive or we're enlightened or we're smarter or we're better. We're not better. We're not smarter. We don't know. And we're not going to deviate from the scripture. And God forbid that we would get caught into cultural relativity so that we can just apply whatever scripture and say, hey, you know what? That's really not for us. That was just for them. At the same time, there were scriptures that were given just for the Jewish community. Otherwise, all of you that had shrimp last week would be in violation of the law. So now, how do we do it? What are we going to do? We're going to apply what Paul said to Timothy. Rightly dividing the word of truth so that we're not ashamed. I'm going to rightly divide the word of truth. That's why we're here tonight because we want to be set apart in conduct, in thought, in word, in deed, inside and outside. Amen. Okay, that's all right. Thank you. I appreciate all nine of you. Amen. So, I want to go let's go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2 verse 9. I just want to go back to it just real briefly. Um, Okay, here I am. I'm back there. Okay, good. So men are to pray with holy hands, without anger, without tempers, and without skepticism and doubting. Some would call that the analytical mind, but others would just, but in that last word, doubting, and that last word, um, th- that is a that word. It comes from it comes from the Greek word uh, dialogism or dialogismos. Uh, it, it, I'm mispronouncing it, but basically, it's to reason or to thought or to have debate or to have extreme consideration for something. Uh, in, in other words, um, as it regards worship. It means that the man would be stoic, that he would be, he would be almost benign in his approach. He would be uh, apathetic in his desire for worship. This, is, this was against the word of God. Um, if you look at the Jewish community, you'll find out that no, it was supposed to be prayer and worship with exuberance, with vocal, with movement. And... When they pray, when the Jewish men pray, they pray with their whole body. This is called davening. They would daven, so it's a little bending of the knees and and rocking back and forth to daven. That's prayer with their whole body. It's worship with their whole body. But doubt, um, which is not which is in that Greek word, it, it would be it it would tend to stoic are are showing no emotion. It's that's the form of doubting. That is not what, what we were supposed to be doing. Men were supposed to be lifting up holy hands with peace in their hands, temperament, and with exuberance in their hands. We are the only, we are the only faith religion in the world where women, mostly women, lead the church in worship. In, the, in, in Mecca, the men lead in worship. In Jerusalem, the men lead the worship. In almost every other major religion, the men lead the worship. Only in Christianity, in the American Christian, is where the women lead the churches. 70% of people who go to the denominational churches across the United States are women. A women's conference, wherever it is, outnumbers a men's conference two to one. At least that's the ratio. Most of the Christian material written and bought in Christian bookstores are written for women and bought by women. Because our men have become filled with anger and doubt, with skepticism and stoic natures. I would say, let it not be so in this house. Men, pray with your whole body, worship with exuberance. Don't fold your arms during worship. You have to lead during worship. And don't tell me that's your personality or that's your background or it's because you're Polish or because you're German ethnicity has nothing to do with disobedience oh that was ugly amen I loved it I'm gonna say that again ethnicity has nothing to do with you being disobedient to God I'm just not a man of prayer you know we just never did that at home well change we all have to change right we got to change I hope I've changed and I hope I continue to change change If you say, well, you know, we just didn't grow up with all those, all those, you know, regulations about dating and marriage. Well, change. Be moral. How about morality? If you're ever going to hear this stuff, this is where you should hear it. If you're ever going to hear anything, this is probably the only place you're going to hear it. At least in a public forum. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. So ladies, you can wear a dress and still be immodest. You can wear a skirt and still be immodest. If it leaves nothing to the imagination or if it's too revealing, it can be immodest. The Assembly of God movement, about 15, 18 years ago, uh, one of my uh, friends who was Assembly of God pastor was, was talking to me and he said, we have a huge problem. And I think it has persisted. I've lost contact with him in the last six or seven years, but... But um, he said, we have a huge problem. I was, I, was, uh, I was curious what it was. And he said, all of our youth conventions, um, we had a real big problem with our young girls wearing, uh, wearing tops that when they raised their hands, their, a lot of their midriff was showing. And he said, every time they raised their hands and worship, he said, you know, uh, they were exposing themselves. And I said, well, what, what are you going to do? He said, we've let things go so far That now it's hard to get it back. Uh, Raise the praise. They they did a campaign called. I think it was called raise the praise. And raise the praise was. We're going to be able to raise our hands. Praise God without exposing our midriff. Now you might think. That's a little silly. Well that's what happens when you tear down. Every border boundary holiness standards. This is what happens. When. We have people now that are arguing against gender fluidity. Well, what, where, what, what about the church? When the church and the saints argue and say, well, that doesn't matter, and this doesn't matter, and why do I have to do that? All of a sudden, that's where it leads. That's where it leads us. Now, it may not be true for everyone. It may not be true for everybody. But eventually, that's where churches go. Because there are no standards. There are, there are no boundaries. There are no borders. There are no borders. And unless there's a border and a boundary, we don't know where we're going to end up. And a field without a fence denotes no authority and no ownership. We, we just put in an invisible fence. And I, we also have a shock collar and I wasn't sure if it was working. So I held my hand to it and put it on number 25. I want to tell you about number 25. Things will happen to your body that you don't you don't know could happen to your body when you're holding that thing at 25. And I've decided that in the new building we're going to have the seats installed So when we say, let's praise the Lord, people are jumping up. We have an invisible fence. You don't see it, but you can feel it. I promise you that. And the invisible fence, while it's buried, it gives off off a signal. And it says, don't go there. You don't belong there. But the church doesn't want any fence. Because we're into subjectivism. Well, let me just tell you my position. I'm not into subjectivism. I want to preach right in the whole counsel of God. I want to deliver the truth to you. See, I have to give an account for what I say. And if I withhold something from you so that you will love me, I could be wrong with God and right with you. And this is what Peter and John said. Shall we hearken unto men more than unto God? Judge ye. (laughs) <laughs> I have a need I do have a need I like I like to be liked <laughs> I, I enjoy that I enjoy being around people that love me that can be a dangerous trap when it comes to preaching and teaching the word of the Lord but many have fallen to that trap thankfully for me this church loves the word of God and I'm grateful. And then with shamefacedness and sobriety. That means, that, mean, that that's, that's talking about the soberness. The soberness is, is, is not flamboyancy. Shamefacedness is talking about the absence of, of, of the cosmos. The Bible will talk about cosmos. or That's where we get the word cosmopolitan or cosmetics. With broided hair, gold, pearls, costly array. But which becometh, here's the verse 10, women professing godliness with good works. So these are critical verses as we look through this we can see that that there is a standard just by how women ought to appear, how ought, how they should look and how men ought to look. Now let's just go on to 1 Corinthians chapter 11 if you don't mind. And uh, if you have your bibles, this would be a great place And we'll read a little bit. If you notice 1 Corinthians chapter 11, this is the chapter that has ordinances in it. And this is the chapter in which I always read from when when we talk about communion. It's amazing that within this chapter... Um, we will read about communion and we will, we will um, observe the Lord's death till he come. In the same chapter, we're going to talk about the order of creation. Paul is going to talk about the roles of men and women, and he's going to give a specific um, uh, direction and teaching concerning hair. Let me just read it to you. Verse 1, be followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. Now, I praise you, brethren, that you remember me in all things and keep the ordinances. Everyone say ordinances. So there are ordinances in this chapter. Of course, we know one of them, right? It's communion, always receiving communion, honoring the Lord's death. But he didn't start there. But I would have you know that the head of every man is Christ. All the people said, amen. And the head of the woman is the man. And all the people said, Amen. And the head of Christ is God. Every man praying or prophesying, having his head covered, dishonoreth his head. Now This is interesting. But every woman praying. And the reason why it's interesting because, um, because Paul also understands the yarmulke and understands the small head covering. So he is not speaking against the yarmulke or that small head covering, which has been in their existence, the Jewish existence, for thousands of years. He's talking about something else. We're going to find out what it is. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth with her head uncovered dishonoreth her head. Now this is interesting because this this has a lead in it. So you have to go back up to verse 11. The head of every man is Christ. We don't want to dishonor our head, which is Christ. Woman shouldn't honor the man, which is her head. Now let me just pause and tell all, let you know that the women's liberation movement and the advent of of education among women, um, they bifurcated. The uh, the women's liberation movement is really an anti-man movement. Um, we would absolutely espouse every person having uh, a good education and, and exercising whatever educational values that they possess. We don't believe that men are inherently smarter or better than women. That is a lie. But a man is the head of the home and should be the head of the church. The curse in the garden. I'm back to Genesis chapter 1 and chap to chapter 3. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, the curse of the man was that he would have to work by the sweat of his brow all the days of his life. That he would be toiling. That was his job. But now he had to work, and that is what the world is fighting against. The spirit of the age would rather men stay home and not work, and the government to provide for a man. ...without him working. But the natural inclination for a man is to work. Your job is to work. If your wife works a job... ...and she makes $100,000 a year... ...and you only make $20,000 a year... ...you still have to work. I submit to you... ...this is my, this is my position... I submit to you, it doesn't matter, men, if you're not good with finances. You need to get good with finances and figure them out. And you need to to have an overview, at least, even if your wife is a CPA, you need to have an overview of the finances in your home. All right. And the curse of the woman, oh, well, there's a couple problems here. Number one, she would have pain in childbirth. And number two, her desire would be for her husband. But he would lord over her. So in the garden, it was a very different scene. They were very equal. The difference in them, however, was that Adam was not deceived. Read it in your New Testament. The Bible says that Eve was deceived, but Adam was not deceived. Because Adam heard the commandment of God, but he didn't share the commandment of God. He was not the check that he needed to be. The check is in the mail. M-A-L-E. And he should have said, oh no, honey, we're not eating that fruit. But instead, he was a big dummy and said, whatever you want to fix for dinner. But the Bible says he knew what was going on. She did not. And that was the difference between Adam and Eve. He had heard the voice of God. He knew what that, was, that tree was for. She was deceived. Now, she knew she, wouldn't, she was being deceived, but he was not being deceived. Now, the curse would be, you're always going to try to get over him and rule him, but he is going to rule over you. And now today, that's exactly what's happening today. We have feminized men. We feminized them, but we didn't masculate the the women. Instead, we're feminizing everybody. It's a distortion of God's order and his creation. Amen. I'll amen myself. Because I feel good about it. But every woman that prayeth or prophesieth, verse 5, with her head uncovered, she dishonors her head. For that is even all one as if she were shaven. For if the woman be not covered, let her also be shorn. If she's not going to be covered, just let her, let her be completely shaven. But if it be a shame for a woman to be shorn or shaven, let her be covered. So if, so if that's a shame, which obviously this is this is. Uh, maybe the back door of saying, yes, it is, then she should be covered. For a man, verse seven, indeed ought not to cover his head for as much as he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of the man that comes from the birth of creation. For the man is not of the woman, but the woman of the man. That's how we know we're talking about the origin. The man is not of the woman. Well, what does that mean? That means that Adam came first. Neither was the man. Oh, here's a a very offensive for our day. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Who's offended? I'm not. <laughs> I'm not offended. Doesn't the Bible just mess you up? It just messes you up. I wish I put me on TV. I'm going to read this. They would kick me off so fast. Nobody reads the Bible. Now, listen, ladies, I just want you to know it's okay. God created all of it in seven days, and at the the end of the sixth day or the seventh day, he said it's good, and he rested. And the moment that it was not good, this is what he said, it is not good for man to be alone. The first problem, the first time that God said something was not good, The solution was a woman. Did that make you feel better? (laughs) I was trying to mitigate here something. I don't know. I was trying to help you out a little bit. (laughs) He, He 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 couldn't be alone. I don't know. I was. I've been told this many times. I don't know if it's true. I don't know. I'm not there. But many ladies have told me. Many people have told me. A woman, when she gets, she can live without a man, but a man cannot live without a woman. Nobody said amen, so I'll just keep on going. But that's just what I've been told. It's not in the scripture necessarily. Neither was the man created for the woman, but the woman for the man. Verse 10 for this cause ought the man to have the woman, for this cause ought the woman to have power on her head because of the angels. Uh-oh. Now we just jumped into a spiritual authority. Now the woman has power on her head. It's in relation to the angels, because the angels have a covering also. Nevertheless, neither is the man without the woman, neither the woman without the man in the Lord. I'll break that down for a little bit. In the Lord, however, a woman is not independent of a man, nor is a man independent of a woman. They were supposed to be together. Verse 12, for as the woman is of the man, the woman came from the man, so also, a man is born of a woman. Okay, but all things of God. We're, we're getting the order of creation here going. Judge yourselves. Is it right? Is it comely? Is it beautiful? That a woman praying to God uncovered? How do I know? Well, verse 14 is going to tell us. Doth not nature itself teach you that if a man have long hair, it is a shame unto him? Yes, nature teaches us that because it's natural for you men to go bald or to have a bald spot or to have a receding hairline it's this is natural i hope it doesn't happen i found some stuff you could spray on <laughs> If you have sprayed it on, I apologize. I didn't, I didn't, it must be really good. I didn't know. It's natural. It's unnatural for you to have long hair. Nature tells you that because the natural disposition of a man's head is for him to lose his hair. And, and if, you, if, you, if you have premature baldness for a man, you, you know, no big deal. In fact, it's kind of, kind of cool now I, I, for a lot of guys. Whatever. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not trying to be offensive. I'm just saying that that's what it is. If, if you lost your hair, that's natural for a man. Nature itself has taught you that it's unnatural. In fact, a shame for you to have long hair. But if a woman have long hair, it is her glory for her hair is given her for a covering. So a woman's long hair, that's meant for your glory. That is a distinction between men and women. Now I'm back to dresses and skirts and and, and all, all the things that men would wear and women would wear and the different buttons and all the things that men would do and the things that men would do and women would do. It's clearly that there ought to be a distinction between men and women in conduct. Even Paul will write... Perilous times will come, and he lists all the perilous things, and he'll say, you know, that the sinful activities of the flesh, he'll call this out, and he'll say, men will be effeminate, effeminacy. Okay, so I mean, you don't have to be into football to be masculine. You don't, you don't have to play sports to be masculine. That's, that's nonsense. That, that's Americanism. But, but men ought to act masculine and not feminine. And we all know when a man is acting like a woman. And we know when a woman is acting like a man. Well, This is my position. I think a woman should be feminine and she should act like a lady. And I think a man should be masculine and he should act like a man. He don't have to spit and all that stuff. But he should act like a man. See, if you go down this road that the world has taken us, what's going to happen is chivalry will be gone. No man will hold a door for a woman. In my very facetious second son nature, I laugh every time a man says he's a woman and joins the weightlifting class or the swimming class for the women because the men are just going to wipe out all the women's sports. Going to wipe them out. You know why? Because the world has deviated from the book. Now I shouldn't laugh at that, but I'm just saying, hey, go on, guys. You're going to wipe out all the sports. You, you created this Title IX to protect all women's sports. So that all the girls, all these little girls growing up and wanting to play volleyball, they get... they. Now, what if some dude comes and says, you know, my name used to be Frank, but please call me Melinda. He's six foot five, big broad shoulders, and he's on the volleyball team. This is where you're headed. Now, I would say, don't argue now with the standards of the church, because if you do, what you're doing is you're pointing us to that direction. Please don't argue. Just submit to the word of God. This is the word of God. This is not my word. This is the word of God. For as the woman is of the man, even so is the man by the woman. But all things are of God. Judge. The woman ought to be covered. That's her hair. And verse 16. Now let me just touch verse 16 real quick. because, And I'm, I'm out of time. But let me touch verse 16. Paul did not speak 15 verses. He did not write 15 verses just to say, oh, but if you don't like it, don't worry about it because that is a false doctrine that has been propagated by many churches. Let me read it to you. But if any man seem to be contentious we have no such custom neither the churches of God. Now, the private incorrect erroneous interpretation is this. Well, if you don't like it, don't worry about it. We don't want contention. Just forget about all the things I just wrote. That's a, that is not true. Here's what Paul said. If anyone has an issue with this, just know this is how we do it in all of our churches. This is how we do it. So if you want to know, well, why, Pastor? Why do the ladies look like this? Why do the men look like this? Why do they look like that? Well, because I like for the man to look like a man. That is the image of a man. This is the image of a woman. Now, now that's that scripture. Uh, uh, the principle, principle, is uh, we're, we're not going to harm our body because the temp, the body is the temp. Now, preference here's a preference. You want to hear a preference? Would you like no preference? I don't. I don't like to have blue jean, uh, blue jean skirts or blue jean, blue jeans on the platform. That's my preference. It's not a sin. It could be modest. I just don't like blue jeans on the platform. Just. I would rather not have it. You can go to heaven wearing blue jeans, but not from the platform. (laughs) You won't go to heaven wearing blue jeans here. You can go down there. If you want to be up here, sing, lead, whatever, don't wear blue jeans. It's not a sin to wear blue jeans. I got blue jeans, wore blue jeans today. When I go home, I'll probably put my blue jeans on. I'll probably walk around in blue jeans. So what? But I'm just telling you my preferences. This is my preference. I'd rather not have that. Here's my preference, okay? You have a facial hair. if That's the distinction of a man. I just don't like really big beards. I like them in small, trim. A beard indicates that you're a man. Facial hair indicates you're a man. Uh, women are not, uh, they're not prone. That's not your natural disposition, your body to have facial hair. You'd rather not have that. I'm not trying to make a joke. I'm just saying this is, this is what your natural body shows. So I just want you to know. However, my preference is not big beards. So don't come to me and say it's no shave November. Because that's been going around. No shave November. Well, why aren't you shave? Because it's November. How long is your beard going to get? Well, hold on a second. Well, I got some for you. No, no alcohol in April. No adultery in August. No fornication in February. How much do we want to go on? We can just keep going on and on and on. No drugs in December. (laughs) Whatever. So these are preferences that I have. But that's just because I'm leading the church. And then there's principles. And the principles come from the scripture. They can't come from anything but the scripture. That means there's a principle that's like an umbrella and covers a whole bunch of things. And then there's the scripture itself. And you don't need, I've said this many times, you don't need a conviction to obey the scripture. Because the scripture is not contingent upon your personal conviction. Amen. And there's a lot more. This is a wonderful book. It's called Pursuing Holiness by David Bernard. I love this book. And uh, it's helped me a lot. And I've taken a couple excerpts out of this book. And it's in our bookstore. And I would challenge you to read it. And I challenge the men to read it. And I challenge the men of the church to teach teach it to your family and the ladies of the church. And the reason why that I teach Set Apart tonight in this particular fashion about outward appearance, we've talked many times about attitudes and spirits and what we say and what we do. Many, many, many times. Um, if you want to hear a, 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 a sermon on... on, on piercings and body piercings and, and you, you can go back to listen to my sermon called put ons and put offs and then you'll, you'll you, you can understand where that came from um, these are the things that we attend to these are the things that we espouse we're not the only people that, that espouse these things uh, Tammy and I have um, we, we've been very impressed by some of the Baptist churches that hold a very good holiness standard and they're holding on to that even though uh, different places are mocking them for it. Let me, let me just tell you, you don't have to change very much about yourself. Just in one year, two years, you're going to look very different from the world. In fact, all you have to do is tell your children there's, just, there's, there's only male and female. And they're going to be ostracized from every book club, every every event Everything you can ever think of. And for all of you who have children, you're sending them. Maybe it's because you don't have the funds. It's okay. There's different, there's different venues, there's there's switched on schoolhouse and homeschooling, and there's different schools around. Let me just tell you, there's gonna be boys in the girls' bathrooms and boys in the girls' showers. There's already happening today. I just want you to know we have to have a standard and there's gotta be a holiness, and this is what we believe, and this is what I espouse, this is how I teach because I believe. We have to have a protection. Now, having said all of that, I'm going to go find some people and they're not going to know one thing I just taught. And they're going to be my new converts and I'm going to teach them and I'm going to let them grow. And they're going to come in and they're going to worship. Don't get confused. I'm not offended by them. (laughs) Don't get confused. They're not leading the choir. We're all right. Because when we have a hundred soul revival, we're all going to have to hold on to holiness and know what we believe and be able to say it with the right words and right love. Not offensive, not hateful, but just say, listen, this is what we think. We're trying to hold on to identity. We're trying to hold on to roles. We know where the world is headed. And check this out. Here's the Bible. Amen. And all the people said amen. Please stand with me right now. Just just would you receive it with your hands raised? Would you just receive it? Lord, we receive your word tonight, Lord. I thank you for your word. I thank you for your word. I thank you for it, Jesus. Help us to be a light in this world, I pray. In Jesus' holy name, in Jesus' holy name. Amen. Amen. We have one more session next week. And it's going to be a great session. And... Um, You don't want to miss that session. Of course, we'll stay in this Set Apart series, but we'll deviate from the topics that I have taught tonight.